talking crime, cases, and backing the blue. Now, here are your hosts, Captain Ed Mamet and Detective Kevin Schroeder. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cop Talk. My name is Kevin Schroeder, retired NYPD detective, and I'm here with my co-host, Captain Ed Mamet. Hello, WABC listeners. Great to be here with Kevin and our guest today for another session of Cop Talk. So today's guest is Curtis Sliwa. I'm sure everyone knows Curtis, and if you don't, I don't know where you've been. With that said, he's the host of WBC Radio Talk Radio. Uh, he's basically on 24 hours a day. You could listen to Curtis. Um, he also was a candidate for mayor, and he also is a very good friend of law enforcement throughout the country. Curtis, welcome. Oh, my pleasure to be with two real cops, not toy cops uh, that exist, like our mayor. What a toy cop he was for 22 years, house mouse. So, Curtis, let's get right to it. What do you think is the biggest factors in regards in regards to the rise of crime in New York City? Oh, the fact that there are no consequences. Uh, I look at the low level, which will then bring you to the high level of crimes. The fact that 90,000 packages a day get delivered in New York City by some kind of package service. It could be uh, U.S. Postal Service, UPS, FedEx, Amazon, and they get stolen. 90,000 packages a day, the city admits that. And there's not any charge in any local precinct against what we call the porch pirates. These are guys and gals. They just follow the trucks as they put the packages in a foyer in a, an apartment building or they put it on someone's porch or they put it in somebody's door. They just come behind. They lift it. They steal it. They walk away and there are no consequences. So you can imagine the shoplifting, the boosting, the pickpocketing, the jostling, all of these lower level crimes are not being dealt with. And so naturally you get to even the more serious crimes and you see some of the same effects taking place. Uh, all the car thefts, uh, stealing of the catalytic converters. It's like everywhere now. And uh, jumping the turnstile, a simple thing like that, fare evasion. One third of the people don't even bother to pay their fare on a bus or subway. It's unsustainable, but when you allow crime to exist like that, it's just going to continue to elevate and escalate. Well, the broken windows, correct concept. Absolutely. If you were mayor today, what would, uh, what would be your answer to fighting crime? Well, I think, number one, you have to show that you're making strides. If we don't uh, defend retail, uh, then this city will be a ghost town. So we already have the chain stores that are closing up. The most, uh, I would say, upscale Dwayne Reed is closing. 40 Wall Street in the Trump building. They're just, it's nonstop guys coming in. They come in with duffel bags and they just take everything. Probably what the straw that broke the camel's back for me was in Astoria, where I spend a lot of time now. A guy walked into two Walgreens separate from one another. Had on a had took an acetylene torch out in order to torch out all the plastic uh, tubes that corral all the things that we used to just take off the counter and bring to the cashier. And the only thing going on was the cashiers were filming it, the employees were filming it, uh, the uh, actual uh, purchases were filming it, and the security wasn't doing anything. And you could imagine how that emboldened and empowered others to do likewise. 
uh, I'd say I'd start working with retail establishments, uh, stop the porch pirates from stealing the packages. Then people would see a noticeable difference. Then you could start working on the more serious crimes. But people have to see that there's going to be a noticeable difference in their day-to-day lives. Everybody has experienced shoplifting because they see it right in front, right in front of them. People picking up. My wife, every other day, she sees people pick up stuff and walk. She goes, hey, where you going? Hey, shut up, you B. And no consequences. Right, right. Also, in the uh, retail stores, you know, these guys come in, they grab whatever they want. And security's told, basically, let them go. Just make sure that the, the workers are safe and let them just grab everything because we'll just, you know, we'll just claim it on insurance. And then there you go, across the board. Now insurance goes up. All these, you know, for the retail stores as well as the security companies. Well, I don't ever remember when I was a kid, the cops were never called when stuff was stolen in a store. The store employees dealt with it on their own. I'll leave it at that. No need to call the cops. There's a perfect way to take care of somebody. You give them a cast, and if they walk around their neighborhood, everyone says, hey, how come Vinny uh, has a broken arm? Well, you try to steal over there in that grocery store. Don't go in there and steal because they'll break your arm. That gets the message across. You don't need the police. But now they get locked up, and the perp is gone and wind. You know, Curtis, (laughs) Curtis, you spoke about these other crimes, and I know this doesn't sound major, but I I know you're on to this is the proliferation of unlicensed mopeds running around. This they're dangerous. They're really dangerous, and um, they're not licensed. They're not registered, and something has to be done about it. What's your opinion on that? Well, number one, I thought the whole goal of people having bicycles or electronic bicycles or Vespas or motorbikes is that they would get out there, get fresh air. You know, it's not a four wheel gas guzzling car, right? You know. Why not a pedal bicycle, first off? What is, what is the need to have it electrified? That's number one. Number two, if they break the rules of travel on roads, you have to let the cops grab them, cite them, ticket them, or arrest them. And then you go outside of the Roosevelt Hotel, the Venezuelans on their side. Man, they got 100 motorbikes, Vespas, no registration, no license, no nothing. Just confiscate them. But we've seen the attempts by the NYPD to do that in in Bushwick, and the group attacked them. And they arrested the illegal aliens, and then they were cut loose. And you say, well, are we going to keep doing it? No, then the cops back off. You see, that's the wrong message. The message is, if you mess with us in one place, we will take your bikes if they're illegal in any place. Put them in the back of the precinct. If you come in with the paperwork, you get it. 99% of the time, they don't have paperwork. So they're going to forfeit those bike, those motorized bikes investments. Well, you know, that answer segues into what I was going to ask you again is how do you view the current crime situation and the illegal immigration? Because there are bound to be problems. And uh, beyond what we just talked about, what else do you see in terms of the illegals and police? And crime? Well, the biggest problem is that we've seen, if we just use the Roosevelt Hotel, which is a uh, resource center where they spend a few days and then they ship them out to some other borough, is that there have already been 41 arrests there, mostly for domestic violence. These are people who are coming from third world countries where they haven't haven't been taught that there's a particular way you function in America that you don't function in a third world country. You raise your hand to a woman, you're going to get arrested. Nobody has explained this to them. Nobody has, quote, 
told them there's a certain civility in this country that may not exist in your country. That's part of becoming a citizen the right way. You learn these things by example. You're taught this. And I think there has to be a massive crackdown. When you, you arrest the illegals for committing a crime, you should be able to turn them over to ICE. Unfortunately, because uh, officials long ago, didn't just happen, long ago declared our city a sanctuary city and sanctuary state. By the way, there's no law that says we're a sanctuary city and sanctuary state. They have forbidden law enforcement, the court system, parole, probation, uh, and corrections to deal with ICE. So here, hero men and women, they put on a, a bulletproof vest every day. They go out. They have detainers. These are some of the worst guys and gals imaginable who've come in here illegally, and then either they committed crime while they're here or they committed crime in their country of origin. And because the politicians have said you can't cooperate with ICE, well, ICE is a federal law enforcement agency. That's a crime. You're telling your local law enforcement people they can't they can't. That, what's next? You can't work with the FBI. You can't work with a national security agency. No, that has to be challenged every step of the way. And our local officials, they have no no guts to do that. None whatsoever. Well, you know, what you're saying goes back to Ed Koch's days because I was still in the police department. And I remember in the 80s when he declared that the police department will no longer get involved with immigration matters. Now, prior to that, it was in the police department's protocol, um, a manual that if you suspected someone of illegal immigration, you were to detain them and hold them until immigration INS came. Koch said no more. So people are not aware of that, but that was an executive order on his part that said the police department will no longer get involved with immigration uh, situations. Yeah, and so, I mean, uh, just to give you an idea, Ed, uh, many of the people that we would think would not be on board with that, Rudy, Rudy was. Chris Christie was. Pataki was. None of them complained about it then. Now it's obviously overwhelming. But look at Chicago. 19 Democratic aldermen want to pass an ordinance to welcome ICE back to working with law enforcement. Now that's an all-Democratic city. How come they're not doing it here where we actually have a few Republicans? They're afraid because Cuomo, remember, called... Thugs. Uh, ice thugs. thugs. Eric Adams didn't call them thugs, but he didn't have anything nice to say about him as a former member of law enforcement. We have to turn all that around. Uh, there has to be cooperation because that's the only way we're going to get control of this illegal alien situation. Well, well, the big problem that I see now is there's no way to check where these people are, uh, are coming from, what they were involved in. And I think back to the Marielle boat lift in 1980. Now, at that time, 250,000 people came from Cuba to Miami. Are you aware that 10% of them had criminal records? If you remember the movie Scarface, I mean, 25,000 had criminal records. Well, so, I'll I give you another story in all that, Ed. That was, uh, again, uh, a sucker president named Jimmy Carter who felt, oh, I'm getting all your tired and your poor. Well, he did send his dissidents over. What triggered that was 10,000 Cubans went over the wall at the Peruvian embassy in sought sanctuary. He said, okay, I'm going to let you go, but I'm going to send you to the United States through the shark-infested waters on your little dinghies, but I'm going to include prisoners from my jails, people from the mental asylums, and it was like an invasion. And then Bill Clinton was governor of Arkansas, a young man, 
a lot of uh, future aspirations. And so Jimmy Carter calls up his friend. Uh, Bill Clinton, he says, can you house them at Fort Chaffee? You have uh, National Guard. He said, no problem. Well, he put the Mariolitos there. In three weeks, they burned down Fort Chaffee, and they escaped into the Ozark Mountains. And you know that the next year when Bill Clinton was up for re-election, they didn't elect him? Then he came back two years later, and he's missed the law and order. Uh, the Mariolito boat lift that you mentioned, Ed, is the perfect reason that we cannot make the this, this same mistake twice. Unfortunately, we are. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With the McDonald's app, you can get your favorite thing delivered to your door. So if you were looking for a reason to skip washing those dishes you left in the sink, consider this a sign. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Right now, get $0 delivery fee with any purchase of $15 or more, only in the app. At participating McDonald's, minimum purchase excludes tax and service fees. Delivery prices may be higher than in restaurants. Other fees may apply, not valid with any other offer, discount, or coupon. Well, our buddy Eric Adams says immigration crisis will destroy New York. I'm sure you love that statement. <laughs> well, yeah. And what are your and, thoughts on and, that? And, and he contributed to the destruction. So you're in charge. This is like being the captain of the Titanic. And Ed and Kevin, you're my first mates. And you come to me and you say, look, right in front of us is an iceberg. Don't worry about it. I got it. We're going to go right for that iceberg. And the moment we hit the iceberg, the first guy to jump ship in the rowboat is Eric Adams. He basically said, no mas, no mas. Well, you're the one who called Abbott a racist. You're the one who said, oh, send them all to me. We'll take good care of them. Then you reach a breaking point, and instead of acknowledging I was wrong, you know, we, we really got to rectify this, he keeps compounding it. This guy is, is a, a series of contradictions. So if you happen to be law enforcement, you're wondering. This guy claims he's law and order. Then all of a sudden he signs a consent decree that gives money to Black Lives Matter and Antifa that was attacking you. He won't let you put hands on anybody. It's like he won't let cops be cops. And yet, he ran on the fact that he was a former cop. In many ways, he's worse than de Blasio. What? I didn't, never thought before I could say that. Worse than de Blasio, especially towards the police. Curtis, what are your thoughts on Texas, among other states, sending busing uh, immigrants, illegal immigrants, to uh, New York City? Well, look, uh, they're not being helped by the federal government. They're overloaded. I've been down to the borders years ago, not, not presently. And I've seen, under normal circumstances, uh, the illegals crossing the Rio Grande, or even in California, coming over from Tijuana, and then crossing over into the San Ysidro County, next stop, San Diego, Los Angeles, hundreds, thousands. Now, it's like a tsunami. It's nonstop. So, I completely understand why Abbott, the governor of Texas, would do that, why other governors would do that. 
and they and they're saying we're not a sanctuary state. We never declared ourselves to be a sanctuary state. So guess what? If you're a sanctuary city or state and you're proud of it, we're sending them to you. And then all of a sudden, somebody like Eric Adams will say, "But that's illegal." Well, clearly it's not illegal because he's been doing it for over a year. So stop the nonsense. Stop this sanctuary city, sanctuary state nonsense because there is no such thing legally. Now, there is a right to shelter. That was a court mandate. Go into court. Argue that. But let the cops do their job. Let them work with their fellow law enforcement officers in ICE, and they'll really be able to tighten stuff up because ICE knows so much of what local law enforcement doesn't know, and they would, they would willingly share it with local law enforcement. Curtis, you mentioned the, the 41 arrests in Brooklyn because the bikes were confiscated. What happened to them, those arrests? The, they get dismissed. Uh, it's called the uh, desk appearance ticket that becomes a disappearance. a disappearance ticket. And remember, all these guys and gals, they know two words, even if they don't speak a word of English. Asylum seeker. That's all you have to do. I'm an asylum seeker, and they cut you loose. See, now this is the problem I was talking about. More and more of them are going to get arrested, and more and more of them are going to be released because of the cashless bail process that's going on. And they're not going to show up in court. You know that. We don't even know who they are. You know, they're fingerprinted and photographed, but what do you check against? You know, let's say a guy comes from Honduras, whatever. Uh, we have no relation that, that's instant with them. You, you fingerprint them. You're not going to get any information, maybe never, or you may get it, you know, eventually. But the point is, more of them will be arrested. They're going to be out there, and the court system is going to get all messed up because are they going to issue warrants when they don't show in court? So, you know, people are not looking down the road at the future. No, and uh, quite frankly, uh, this is all political. So the migrants, I don't blame them. Uh, I don't want to see any harm come to them. They're taking advantage of a thing they never thought in their wildest dreams would exist. Free entry into the United States, and you get more free stuff than Americans who pay taxes get. So they're going to just keep rolling on this. But just imagine our local criminals. They're going to get in their car. They're going to go see all these young men hanging out, smoking weed, drinking beer, with nothing to do all day long. They say, come here. You know, we could do a home invasion and split it four ways. Really? Yeah, get in the car. I'll teach you. I'll teach you the tricks. There are going to be a lot of young men that are going to be recruited into gangs, into uh, criminal enterprises, because they got nothing to do and nowhere to go. And let's face it, eventually they need money. Eventually they need to be able to sustain themselves. And as we look at immigration throughout history, sometimes the first wave of the immigrants, first it was the Jews, then it was the Irish, then it was the Italians who ended up getting involved in crime, and then it became organized crime, and then they evolved out of that. But you're going to see, especially the Venezuelans, I've been watching them. Man, they're sharp. Ed, let me tell you, Kevin, they go up to the 2,000 illegal weed shops that exist. Now, that's something right there that they should let the cops padlock. They won't let the cops get involved. But they actually go into the weed shops, and they say to the guy behind the counter, normally it's somebody who speaks Spanish, tell you what, we'll deliver your weed Grubhub style, but we don't have a bike to do it on. We'll pay layaway. You get the bike. We deliver your weed like Grubhub. And then every week we pay layaway. So they pay off on the bike. Now then the Venezuelan goes to the next guy in the other block, the competitor, and he says, you know, the other weed dealer there, he's doing delivery. 
we could do delivery for you too. And they make the same deal. And now you have these Venezuelans, all of them are on motorbikes investments. You say, how could they afford it? Because they're so smart. They're such good business people. But if they're guided to doing the negative, they're going to become a detriment to our society. They're going to become a new level of organized crime. And let me tell you, Venezuelans were always the most businesslike in South America before Hugo Chavez came along in Maduro. These young men, they're hustlers. I see them outside the Roosevelt Hotel. They already got their little gangs. Uh, you know, they, they got their, what you call their side hustles going, and a lot of them are not legal. A lot of them are not legal. Curtis, recently you've mentioned that you may take on Adams again. Why don't you tell us about that? Oh, that's a guarantee. It's done. I've said it over and over. I'm running against Eric Adams again. Remember, when I ran against him the first time, he had no track record. I mean, let's face it. What do borough presidents do other than give proclamations out and cut ribbons? You can't really be a bad borough president because even if you don't show up, people don't know what a borough president does. But now as a mayor, he has a track record and his polling numbers have plummeted. The number one group that has dropped the most radically from being his biggest support group of African-Americans because... The history of politics in New York City when you run for mayor is to the victor go the spoils. So, for instance, when Rudy ran the second time against David Dinkins, he won because there was a tremendous turnout of votes to vote for secession on Staten Island. Rudy took real good care of them, actually paid attention to them because they were always the forgotten island. You look at Eric Adams. He won because the African-Americans voted for him in the Democratic primary. You had Maya Wiley, who just barely lost. She had the LC vote. You had Kathy Garcia. She had the New York Times vote. It was neck and neck in ranked choice voting. When you looked in the analytics, the African-American vote put Eric Adams over the top. But he has forsaken him. Out of all the groups that I deal with in the streets, they are the angriest because they're like, wait, I'm in a shelter. I'm not having anyone give me a place to stay in a hotel I got to be in by 10 o'clock at night, even though I'm a veteran. There's a curfew for Americans, 10 o'clock. For illegals, there's no curfew. They could be out to the break of dawn. So you can imagine these men and women are like super pissed because they expected better of Eric Adams. And he's basically put him in the back of the bus. So that's a route to victory. Obviously, there are a lot of people leaving the city in a continued wave because he, he really, he's, he was, he hyped them. So much. I'm going to be the law and order mayor. I'm the former cop. I'm a moderate. And then every step of the way, he's overexposed. He's the hip-hop mayor. You know, God talks to him. God guides him. People are starting to say, this guy's crazy. So I have a real, sh- a real shot to take him out. You know, back in the day when I was on the job, I came on in 1985, and I retired in the end of 2012, when I came on, cops, you know, young cops may leave the police department to go to maybe Nassau County, Suffolk County for more money, better benefits, maybe be treat, treated better by the, uh, by the community. With that said, today, there's many young police officers leaving the job, not to go to another police department, but because they're just so burnt out with the overtime. Big commands, as you know, Ed, big commands like, say, Midtown North, Midtown South, 19 precinct in Manhattan here, 3-4 precinct had maybe three, 400 cops. Today, they're down to about 150. 
I mean, that's ridiculous. That's yeah. why these kids are working overtime like crazy. Well, now, back say, in my day, I'm sorry, back in my uh, yeah. day, I would love the overtime. I'd sleep there. I don't yeah. care. Well, I, I think the it's biggest a different problem, generation. Though, Kevin, is the respect factor. A barista at Starbucks gets more respect over the counter than a cop does because, A, you want that barista to get your order right, my double latte. They have a, a freaking tip job. People give them tips for doing their job. Cops get grief all the time. People spit on the cops. They give them the finger F you. They don't cooperate. They resist. And they know there are no consequences. When I was growing up, you resisted a police officer. First of all, they all had, uh, not bully clubs, they all had the, uh, the uh, not truncheons, uh, they all had the wooden sticks. Uh, what, why am I forgetting baton. that right now? A baton. The baton. Right. Uh, the nightstick. Nightstick. When the cop pulled the nightstick out, you knew they were meaning business. So if they were trying to control a crowd and they pulled the nightstick out, everyone in the crowd knew, okay, you're not going to push the cop around any longer. And it's not like they hit you with the uh, baton or the nightstick, but they used it to shield you off. Now cops have to tackle somebody. That is crazy. They have nothing on them other than like pepper spray. And first of all, most of the time, that doesn't even work. That enrages a person even more. But there's nothing that they have as a defensive shield. And that nightstick always, I mean, you knew when the cop pulled the nightstick out, okay, time to walk away, time to move away, time to chill out. Now there's none of that. Well, and, and you refer to that as a, uh, a wooden shampoo? Wooden shampoo, <laughs> concrete <laughs> facial, <yep>. attitudinal <laughs> readjustment. Sucking concrete. Exactly. So, so, Curtis, where was the mounted unit? When we had all these protests and BLM riots, et cetera, where was the mounted well, unit? You know where they were? Blocks well, away, and they were probably, from what I'm being told, to, told to do nothing, absolutely nothing. Yeah. Stay there until you're called, and they were never called. Well, that was and the, that's the what, Blasio's light touch. That's, <laughs> well, there you go. But that's what the mounted unit is for, not to you know ride around Midtown and take pictures with people, which that's part of it, but basically when they got to work, they go in and take care of business, and they weren't utilized. Well, I, mean, I was right outside unit. of the uh, Tompkins Square Park riots when David Dinkins was in charge with the anarchists and the hippies there, and they brought the... Uh, the horses in with the cops' uh, mounted uh, units. The uh, anarchists were throwing marbles on the ground, hoping that the the uh, the horses would topple over. But when those horses charged that crowd, everybody parted the sea like the Red Sea parted for Moses. <laughs> Nobody wanted to deal with those horses, and it gives the cops a perfect vantage point. They can look down. Now he wants to he wants to use drones. I don't have a problem using drones. The problem is I want police officers. You can't. A drone isn't going to help us in the subway. A drone isn't going to help us dealing with most crowd. Crowd control, yes. But you put a cop on a horse, everybody knows you mean business. Right. Hey, no, people are afraid of that horse. Right. And it's good to have a healthy fear uh, because then right. they'll back away. Crowd control. You need the you need mounted unit for crowd control. Ed? Right. Curtis, if... Uh, when you're the mayor, will you, will you bring back some of the older police policies that worked? Well, stop and frisk, absolutely. Uh, right now, we're looking up in the South Bronx. There are, is a gang war raging. 71-year-old woman was shot and killed at 12 noon. Uh, a younger woman, along with her, was severely wounded. We saw the other night in the Bronx again an 80-year-old man assassinated. A guy rolls up on a motorbike. 
blows his brains out. No one has been arrested in these crimes because there's no stop and frisk. These are mostly crimes committed by teenagers now on Vespas and motorbikes, unlicensed, unregistered. It'd be so easy to crack down on them. You first see if they're a registered bike. If not, bring the truck, bring it to the precinct. And in the meantime, you stop and frisk them. That would stop a lot of this uh, nonsense of young men carrying guns. Right now, they know there's no stop and frisk. There's very little chance that you're going to be stopped or frisked other than if you're trying to go into a nightclub and the guy outside stops and frisks you. Now, you want to go to a nightclub, you know you're going to get frisked. They want you. But you can run outside with a fully loaded 9mm and they don't even worry about that. And in Brooklyn, you get busted the first time by Eric Gonzalez to put you into remediation. They say, come to Red Hook once a week with a counselor. They give you a slice of pizza and Coca-Cola. Promise that you'll never again uh, carry a loaded 9mm. Oh, of course, I crossed my heart and hope to die. You get out, you go to your homeboys in the projects. It's like, I can't believe this. They feed you too. All you got to do is promise you'll never do it again. And they go out and they do it again and again and again. Curtis, uh, when you're mayor, a big problem you're going to face is the stupid city council. They're always introducing laws to handle the police. Well, what I would do is immediately say, okay, which of you city council people don't want police in your district? And I would say, if we have to cut back, because at this point, if I become mayor, we're in, inheriting a major problem like Ed Koch inherited in the 70s. We're going to be on the brink of fiscal insolvency, possible bankruptcy, as we face in 1975 when Gerald Ford said drop dead. So I would say, okay, I have a limited number of cops. To you, city council person Hanifa and Park Slope, a socialist. To you, Aviles and Sunset Park. To you, Tiffany Caban. You don't want police in your district. I'll be more than happy to cut the number of cops in the precinct. And actually, yay! <laughs> want to bet the next election cycle they're no longer the city council person? Because I'm going to say, it wasn't me. I had a meeting with them. They said they didn't want cops. So I put the cops where they wanted. You see, I would do that. Eric Adams could, but he won't. Because he doesn't know how to use the budget properly. And he won't <laughs> take them on. He won't name and shame them. But I would say, look, I had a nice meeting today with Tiffany Caban, who's an acolyte of AOC, all-out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. <laughs> they want to defund the police. They want to destroy the police. I would say, I told her we have 300 police officers assigned to the precinct here in different shifts. And I said, well, how many do you want? And, you know, Tiffany's going to say, none. And I realized I had to have some cops here, so I paired them in half. I took 150 out, and I gave them to another precinct in which the city council person was more than half. You pit them against one another. Watch how quickly her constituents are going to say, you know something? We need the cops. And they'll vote her out. But he's not using the power of the mayoralty, as you said, Ed, the budget, the discretionary funds, and most importantly, the allocation of badly needed police resources and personnel. Curtis, if you're mayor, would you have a public safety commissioner? No, absolutely. They're ridiculous. The last uh, deputy uh, public safety uh, commissioner was Judge Marlin with David Dinkins. How did that work out? 2,000 murders a year, 10,000 unsolved sins. You don't need layers of bureaucracy. You have a police commissioner. Uh, you have trained professional police officers who've earned the right through civil service to move up the ranks. Some are political appointments. 
But with all the stuff that I would have to do as mayor, the last thing I'd want to interfere with is the police department. You pick a commissioner, you have conversations with the commissioner, but you let the commissioner run the police department. Because, look, you think I'm going to know how to run a police department? Remember, half my life I've been adversaries of the police. I'm going to say, you're my guy or gal, you're in charge. You know, I'll be there with you, I'll talk with you when there are problems, I'll ask you, what's going on? How come this isn't working? But bottom line is, you're the shot caller. And if things aren't going right at some point, I just have to replace you with somebody else. And certainly, if somebody's going to sit down with Black Lives Matter or Antifa or any of these crazies, I'll use the Rudy Giuliani approach they used with Bratton when Bratton, early on in the administration, said, "Uh, Rudy, I'd like to meet with Al Sharpton. Rudy looked at him and said, if you meet with Al Sharpton, you can leave your badge and your gun on the table by lunch. I'll have a new police commissioner by the end of the day. No. You don't meet with them. You don't negotiate with them. We're not going to be held hostage. They're not going to shake us down. There's a right way to do things, and there's a wrong way to do things. And I'm going to work with people who want to do things the right way. Harris, what is your vision for the future of New York City? Uh, It's perilous because I think there's certain realities now that no mayor has ever faced before. We're in a situation where people want to stay at home and work. It's a computerized workforce. I look over at the new Chase building off of Park Avenue, that this monstrosity that will take another two years. And I said, you know, J.P. Diamond is considered a pretty smart, sharp guy. What is he going to do, turn that into storage units, mausoleums? There's no workers that are going to be able to come in there and work. People work from home now. They don't need all this space. So we're going to have to really radically reshape it. My policies will be what's in the best interest of people, not necessarily in the best interest of the city, because if it's in the best interest of people, the city will thrive and prosper. And we have to prioritize safety of women. If women don't feel safe in the city, they're not going to come to work and they're not going to go out to nightlife. And as you know, Without women in nightlife or at bars and restaurants, ain't nobody going to be there. And they cannot afford taking a cab every day or an Uber. So you got to get the subway safe. you got to make sure the streets are safe because the bulk of the workforce are women. The bulk of the people who go to the restaurants, the bars and the nightclubs are women, without which guys are going to be talking to themselves. And that's not nightlife. That's true. That's true. That's true. Captain? Well, I think it's been a fabulous interview, Curtis. You're a gem. You are the city of New York personified. And uh, we thank you very much for being on the show. Oh, my pleasure. And obviously with uh, so many retired police officers, either they've remained in our area or they've gone to other states. There's a wealth of men and women who have so much information about how to get the city back on track. Uh, I, I, I would tell you, I would delegate it to them. I'd say, what's your plan? Sounds like a workable plan. Let's do it. The mayor has so many other things to do. Keep your cotton-picking hands off the police department. It should not be politicized. When a police department is politicized, it fails to function. True, very true. Curtis Lewa, thank you very much for being a guest today on our Cop Talk episode. And Curtis Lewa, the man with a plan. Good luck, Curtis. We'll be behind you all the way. With that said, I'd like to thank everyone for listening to another episode of Cop Talk. 
If you like what you hear, please subscribe. You could also follow us on Twitter, Cop Talk at WABC, Cop Talk at WABC. Thank you and be safe out there. Till next time. <laughs>